right. Well, before we get into today's show, we do have a bit of an announcement to make. Uh, this is the final episode of Around the Keg. Oh. I know. However, starting next week, we will now be the Rowdy Southern Saturday podcast. Hey, ah, oh. ah, yeah. So we are going for a little bit of a, a little change in direction here. We're going to change things up, and it's going to be even better than before. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Hey, we're, we'll still talk a little Wyoming. Don't you worry. Uh, but this is a strictly Southern football podcast uh, is the main focus. Obviously, we talk a lot of SEC on here anyway, but... College football, Southern football, talking sports, same thing we always do. We're going to try to narrow it down a little bit, get you know, get a better show for you, get get better content, get some interviews in here, and every, everything should keep rolling about the same as it does now. We actually have Chad is on full-time now. Uh, yep, he's on the payroll, officially. Yes, absolutely. Chad's back. And we uh, we had to say goodbye to our good friend Lando as he has in, encountered a new career opportunity. Uh, but we wish him the best, and uh, we know he'll do very well, and we know Oklahoma will suck once they get to the SEC anyway. Excited to uh, divulge into this new venture, but as we all know, Matt, and I'm ready to talk some fucking football. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the thing that I'm most excited for is, A, for me and Keys to be back this week, and B, for us to talk about what really is at the deepest part of our hearts, and that is football here, specifically south of the Mason-Dixon, um, except for you, Missouri. But we really don't care about you anyway. So go to hell, Eli Drinkwitz. Hey, Eli Drinkwitz, you know, he's doing a good job. Uh, you know who else is doing a good job? Kirby Smart. Let's go ahead and dive <laughs> right into it. SEC football, biggest game of the weekend. AP number one versus college football number one. Georgia Bulldogs take on Tennessee Volunteers uh, coming to Sanford Stadium. And uh, they they got whooped. Kirby whooped up on all uh, Josh Heupel and the uh, Tennessee Vols. Hidden Hooker had his worst game as a volunteer. And uh, I was pretty excited. I did way more drinking than I usually do for a Georgia football game. Typically, I like to stay pretty even keeled uh, just in case things go bad. But uh, as the game got closer, my stress started to pick up. And uh, I was definitely... Um, pushed to drink more than I normally do due to one of my good buddies that I work with. And uh, I had about 15 beers b- before halftime. So I was uh, I was feeling it pretty hard. But uh, I was, you know, super happy, super excited about the dogs. Stetson Bennett looked great. Uh, offense looked really good. Run game, I was a little disappointed with how they looked in the second half. Didn't get as much push against Tennessee's run defense. But uh, all in all, pretty excited about the dogs. Number one again. I just wanted to queue up a... A good song by great Randy Travis. I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. I mean, it, it, we and we all kind of felt the same way about it. Tennessee, in, like they didn't look overly impressive against Florida. Like they beat Florida fairly handily, I guess, but they didn't look overly impressive against Florida. And Alabama made several critical mistakes that cost them the game. Knoxville, uh, this game being in Athens, uh, Georgia looks great, man, and the defense looked really good. The only thing that was different that I, I expected there would be a few more points on both sides. I expected Georgia to score a few more, and I expected Tennessee to, to score a few more. Uh, but Athens, Georgia, uh, was loud, and uh, 
coworker of mine is a big Georgia fan and season ticket holder. And he said that he has never he's been a season ticket holder since 1986. And he said in he's only missed 15 home games between that time period. And that he has never heard Sanford as loud as it was on Saturday. It was unbelievably loud. And he said, and it wasn't just like early in the game. He said it was like the electricity stayed throughout the game uh, all the way until final whistle blew and the dogs were victorious. So good for good for Georgia. That's a great win. Kirby Smart continuing to prove that he is one of the uh, top three football coaches in the country. Uh, what he's done with that Georgia program and. Uh, really been an awesome, awesome job that he's done there. And Georgia looks great. Looks like they're the uh, odds-on favorites to win another national title this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to back my stance up on saying Ohio State is the most complete team in the country because I think I've been kind of riding that horse all year. When, uh, as much as I hate to say it, I need to be riding Georgia's horse. Georgia, and now I will say, granted, I think Tennessee got a little bit of a dose of their own medicine. You know, you – Got all those big games at home against Florida, and then you got Alabama at Neyland. Well, now you had to go play a three thirty game on the road in Athens, and Athens is loud. I I could tell through the TV screen. I don't think I've ever seen Georgia that loud, or you know, seen an atmosphere like that in Athens. You know, typically Georgia doesn't have a ton of home games that they get to have an atmosphere like that, and Athens showed out. Got to give a lot of credit to that crowd, but top to bottom, uh, from other than that fumble on the first drive, and Tennessee only got three out of it, Georgia's defense set the tone. Georgia's defense didn't allow Tennessee to convert on third downs. They kept Tennessee under the sticks, uh, didn't allow Tennessee's deep ball passing game to get going, a lot of short yardage passes, and not a lot of first downs, man. Tennessee just couldn't stay on the field. And then their defense couldn't get off the field. Georgia chewed them up through the air, on the ground, shoved him around, won both lines of scrimmage. It's just very, very, very impressive uh, to watch. Very impressive. Stetson Bennett, he's on another level right now. And for a guy that struggled and a team that struggled against Missouri and even Kent State a few weeks ago, I'll tell you what, I think Georgia's hitting their stride late in the year, and they they look well, well on their way, unfortunately, to winning back-to-back natties. Or at least that's the way it sits right now. Well, and I'll say this too. I think this was the best result possible for the SEC. Um, I know a lot of people wanted to see Tennessee win the East because Georgia's won it, what, five of the last four years? Um, or at least if they win it this year, it'll be five. And um, and obviously, it'd be cool to see Tennessee, as a, if coming from a non-biased standpoint as myself being a Georgia fan, it would be cool to see Tennessee make the SEC championship because they haven't made it in a long, long time. Uh, but considering who Tennessee's played this year with their resume, uh, with the win over Alabama, even after what happened to Alabama last Saturday, um, and then everybody else they've played in this in this season, beating LSU and all that too, they have a better chance to make it as a one-loss team that didn't go play in the SEC championship than I think Georgia would have if Georgia would have lost this game. So coming into it, Go to the SEC championship. You get a two-loss LSU or a one-loss Ole Miss potentially going to the SEC championship to play, which Georgia hasn't clinched yet. But more than likely, it's going to be Georgia. Um, then the winner of that game, I think, regardless if they have two losses or one, is going to end up in the college football playoff. Then you take Tennessee. Assuming Tennessee 
is, and then either way, say if LSU wins, I still think Georgia makes it with that one loss. If Georgia wins, knock out LSU, knock out Ole Miss, I still think Tennessee makes it with the one loss if Georgia is still undefeated. Um, and, of course, that depends on a lot of other things happening. You got TCU. They have a couple big games left. Uh, they're still undefeated. Uh, you got Oregon, UCLA, and, UC- and uh, USC all with one losses. USC and UCLA still have to play each other this season. Uh, so there's still a lot more that could happen. But I think a one-loss Tennessee, more than likely, with the way the season has gone, is going to be in no matter what, um, unless they get beat by South Carolina, of course, uh, which I don't really see happening. Uh, but either way, I think SEC still has a very, very good shot of making uh, two teams in the college football playoff yet again. Yeah, it's uh, the SEC set up really well. Um, and I guess that opens the elephant in the room, so to speak. Well, well. Pun intended. Pun intended. Sad elephant in the room. And that's that two-loss LSU still has two losses and now controls their destiny. The SEC West because Alabama decided to do a very un-Alabama thing, uh, at least as of the last decade, and go to Baton Rouge and lose for the first time in Baton Rouge since 2010, and I'm sad. Yeah. Um, not sure what happened in Baton, Lu- in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, after Tennessee went in there and smoked them, that looks like a different team. All of a sudden, LSU looks like a team that I think can compete with anybody in the country. And if you want my honest opinion, I don't foresee LSU losing another game. Jaden Daniels right now looks like a man possessed. And that offense is rolling. And if you, if you look at it, the difference in that game – was LSU's ability to move the ball in chunk plays more than Alabama could. Alabama went underneath a lot like Tennessee had to do to try to move the ball against Georgia. They had to rely on Bryce Young trying to make plays with his legs and find receivers underneath or scramble, like, for instance, that one touchdown where he had to scramble to get that receiver open. Um Alabama is a very imperfect team, and I don't really recognize this current Alabama program. But LSU, I mean, that's another story, but LSU looks really good, man. LSU, just to me, I think if LSU wins the SEC championship game and and doesn't lose another game in the regular season, which I'm not picking them to lose another game in the regular season, um, LSU easily could go to the playoff. And I think LSU can compete with Ohio State. I think LSU can compete with Michigan. I think LSU can compete with Georgia. I think if L- I think Tennessee's worst nightmare is LSU because if LSU, like I just said, if LSU wins out, LSU is a two-loss team that probably could be the one or two seed going into the college football playoff. Uh, they look really, really good right now. But – Going into Bama, I think one of the biggest things that haunted Bama is, one, I don't think Bryce Young is really that healthy. And, two, one thing I noticed was Alabama could not flip the field. Alabama was backed up into their end zone a lot and had long distances to try to drive the ball downfield. They moved the ball to about the 30 or 40, and then they'd punt. They couldn't sustain a drive long enough to make up for the 90 yards that they needed most of the time, and LSU spent a lot of time short fields and they were able to take advantage of it yeah look i i've gone through this a bunch um 
there's there's a lot that went down on Saturday. Uh, for starters, Bryce Young didn't look healthy, and it, it to me it was just I I don't know what it what it was like. He just seemed off. Like he couldn't throw the deep ball as effectively as he normally does. And he did take a hit. I noticed this earlier in the game. I think it was in the second quarter. He tried to escape, scramble, ran to was running towards the sideline and got hit and landed very similarly to how he did in the Arkansas game when he got hurt. Um, so I, I just don't really know. But before I dive deeper into that, I, I did want to make this comment about LSU because think they're getting a lot of credit for for playing it they played a good game but if you look at them in that game like I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that that Alabama didn't have opportunities to end it and they did they had several and Alabama's defense while it hasn't been perfect I thought they played overall for the most part pretty well until the fourth quarter late in the fourth quarter when they needed to get a stop when they had to get a stop and then in overtime obviously um but LSU to me is not they're better than what they were at the beginning of the year. They're better than what they were when they played Tennessee, maybe. But they're a team that, first of all, that's a night game in Baton Rouge, and I knew that that was going to be a nasty environment. Uh, Tennessee got to play them at noon in Baton Rouge. That is a massive – or 11 a.m. in Baton Rouge time. There's a noon kickoff on the East Coast here. That's a massive difference in environment that Tennessee went into uh, comparatively. So – Think that 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 plays a difference, but also LSU's a team that can't play from far behind. If you get up on them two scores early and you make them try and throw the ball and you put them behind the chains, that's where your best bet of beating them is. Which I I think George is a bad matchup for LSU because George is not going to let them move the ball at will. Uh, and Jaden Daniels. Whenever it, it it takes his legs out of the game, he's their leading rusher on the season and their leading passer. I mean, he he's been a phenomenal everything that he was projected to be at Arizona State. He's been there at LSU, and that was he he played a big role. Uh, Wit, I'll let you get in on this action before I go into a divulgence of what I think is wrong with Alabama currently. Yeah, dude, I <clears throat> I think I'm honestly with you. It's LSU at night, that's a tough environment. Um, it's well-known as one of the tougher environments in college football um, and in the SEC as well. It's it's a tough place to play. Bama, I mean, honestly, it's been the same story with them all year. They just don't have a, a offensive identity this year. Um, I mean, Jameer Gibbs, phenomenal player. Bryce Young. I mean, honestly, if you look at all the guys that deserve to win the Heisman this year, Bryce Young is pretty high on my list still. Now, do I think he's going to win it? No. Uh, because the Heisman nowadays has a lot more to do with actually winning football games than it does putting up stats and looking good in games. Um, but, I mean, even in this game, he threw the ball 51 times, but he threw the ball for, I mean, he had 330 passing yards and, what, three touchdowns? Something like that? Uh, like He, he, he had, had one, one he had touchdown. One touchdown, one interception, whatever. Either way. Played really well. He played well. Um, he's a good quarterback, but your receivers, you don't have the guys. I mean, we've been saying it all season. We don't have the Jameson Williams. You don't have the John Mechies from last year. Um, you don't have the Jerry Judy's, the Henry Ruggs, those kind of guys, Devontae Smith's, um, the guys that Bama is so used to having. And every year, even when you lose those guys, Bama always reloads, always has new guys come in place that are even better. Um, I think this year, a lot of people thought that was going to be Jermaine Burton. 
um, or maybe that Harold guy from Louisville. Um, and then you had Jojo Earl, you had uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, who I think Ja'Cory Brooks has started to come on as a pretty solid wide receiver, but he's still not a first-round pick wide receiver. Um, and, and I think Alabama needs that, especially when the offensive line is playing like how they are too, because uh, it's just not a dominant Alabama offensive line like they normally have. Uh, the defense, honestly, is what surprised me the most this season. I honestly thought it'd be a little bit stronger than it's been. Um, and they looked really good when me and Matt were watching them against Mississippi State in Tuscaloosa. Uh, but in these away games, man, it almost feel like the defense just disappears unless you have a team like Texas that loses their starting quarterback in the second quarter. Yeah, the the issue, though, with Alabama's defense to me is is like Eli Ricks got picked on in that game. Like he, he looked really good against Mississippi State. You want me to be honest with, with Alabama's problem? So offensive identity. That's a Bill O'Brien issue. I don't think that he's ever and – and I've been very critical of him uh, since he was hired. But if you look at the two coordinators that he's following up, it's kind of unfair. Like he's he's following up Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, who are two of the and, – and Brian Dable, uh, who are Lane Kiffin, head coach of the University of Mississippi. Uh, Brian Dable, head coach of – the New York Giants who have had a resurgence this year and Steve Sarkeesian head coach of the University of Texas because all three of those guys did things at Alabama that were just impressive. Uh, now, if you look at the way that Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin grew up plays and called games, there was a lot of creativity and motion with the receivers that was intentionally done uh, to create mismatches and make defenses think. But his at least appeared to me, and obviously I'm not, I've never coached an NFL game. I've never coached in a Division I college football game. I've never coached in an SEC game. But just from me being a very, you know, I know a little bit about football and offensive schemes and things like that just from being around it and watching it for years. Routes that the receivers are running and the motions they're running, they're not really creative. It it's built to be for hey, it's you versus that guy, and you've either got to be better than him or you're not going to get open. And if you look at like how Lane Kiffin works with his receivers and the routes that he sets up for his receivers, it's not necessarily about who like them being better than the the defensive players. It's about things creatively to create the possibility for mismatches and that was something that Tennessee did really well against the Alabama secondary and I think some of it could be the reason that the secondary has been getting flamed is because they're not seeing that in practice every week like they used to whenever Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin were calling plays where you've got three receivers that are one of them's running a rub route that's you know intentionally trying to get pull a corner off or and make a safety play deep they, it just, I feel like that has to be part of the problem. Secondly, the running game, uh, they, we just haven't really been able to lean on it. And going back to your depth piece, Amir Gibbs is the best running back on Alabama's roster by far. In years past, if you would have said that a Georgia Tech transfer to Alabama would be the best running back on that roster and it wouldn't be close – it would be almost laughable. I mean, honestly, uh, in, in a lot of years, and I think some of this has to do with other schools like Georgia uh, with Kirby Smart. They're 
pulling more of those top level recruits and keeping them in Georgia and they're staying relevant. So that's, it, it's pulled into the, the recruiting ground that Saban once had same thing with, uh, uh, Jimbo going to A&M that I think that that's pulled some guys and Sark going to Texas. Like the guys that Alabama was getting before that was like a lot. I think that that's kind of played into it. So lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing I will say about that Alabama offensive identity is I don't think Bill O'Brien's play calling is near as creative as Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. It's a very standard pro style offense. It's, and from the looks of it, it just looks very simple. It looks it doesn't look much like what we're used to seeing, like you were saying, with a lot of movement and a lot of confusion for the defense to try to figure out pre-snap. Um, it's, it's, and a lot of it is getting broken down. It's not tricking any defenses, and it's completely relying on Bryce Young to be athletic and make plays. So everything being said about Alabama, obviously this is not the Alabama of old. Um, I think you could say the last two seasons – it's not been the same Alabama. This is not a dominant team. Um, I mean, the last this is probably I think it's the first time since Saban's been there they've lost two games or yeah they have had two losses in back to back seasons. Am I wrong about that? This is the yeah the first time it's been in back to back seasons mm-hmm. and this is well this is the first time since 2010 that they've been eliminated from national title contention before the Iron Bowl. Uh, and it has been Alabama has played the last 164 regular season games. Alabama has only been eliminated from national title contention in three of those. So, which is which brings me to the question that everybody wants to hear: Is has Nick Saban done winning national championships? Was 2020 the no. last national championship no. that Nick Saban won? No. Win? Um, I, no. I say no, and I say that for one reason. No. Oh, a couple of reasons. One, recruiting next year, number one class as of right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Alabama. Number two, after this season, Bill O'Brien is it's going, going to be heavily encouraged to go find a head coaching job, or he's going to be fired. And uh, like honestly, I don't. I think that Nick Saban has come to the realization that. It, and it, it's deeper than just offensive coordinator. It goes into all the offensive position, like the wide receivers coach. Uh, all those guys are probably going to be looking for jobs or Bill O'Brien's going to be bringing them with them. Uh, defensively, I, I think that there's probably going to be a change made. I don't necessarily think that Pete Golding has uh, been as horrible this year as ever. Uh, there was a couple, one place, to, particularly in the LSU game that stuck out to me was uh, it was a third and five, and everyone knew exactly what Jaden Daniels was going to do. He was going to run like a QB draw, get everybody to go out for their pass routes and everything, and he's fucking run. They were basically decoys, and for whatever reason, there was no spy. Like everyone and their mother was like, oh, yeah, you got to have a spy on Jaden Daniels here. No spy. He runs for like 15 yards. Not a, not a good look. So I, I think that Golding is probably gone. I think Saban's going to mix everything up. I want me to be honest. The biggest loss of this whole Alabama thing, uh, I think it shows so much in the in the day to day grit, has been Scott Cochran. Uh, if, and it wasn't an immediate loss. 
uh, with the strength and conditioning program. But I remember the day that he had decided that he was moving on. He was going to Georgia because he got an on-field role coaching. And I know that he's had some demons that he's fought with, and he's come out on the other side, which is happy for him as a human being. But strength and conditioning coach is the guy that is with your program and those kids more than any other coach. And the energy that he brought to the weight room, he defined what Nick Saban and that culture was at Alabama. He was the four pillars that everything was built on. It was him. And him leaving, I remember there was former players who were like, that's the biggest loss of the Nick Saban era at Alabama. And it's finally showing. It wasn't showing at first. Uh, they hired a couple of guys that were that were pretty good. But you also had a team that was – heavily upperclassmen that had been around Scott Cochran for a while and kind of implemented that same thing on the younger guys. Now you're seeing guys that never really were around that environment. Uh, I think that was a, that was a huge loss, but I don't think Nick Saban's done winning titles because he's going back to the blueprint. You had Greg McElroy come out on his radio pod, podcast, whatever it was that he came out on and said, this is the first time that I'm concerned about Alabama. And Nick Saban came in and addressed it today in a press conference. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, we, we're doing our best to maintain a, a high standard that we've had here since I got here. And I really believe that he's going back to the drawing board. And not that he's going to throw a fit, but he's basically going to say, look, I'm either going to do this and, 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 and win or I'm done. And I'm not done yet. So if I'm not done yet, I'm ripping. Uh, he's 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 it's a it's another fuel to the flame because he hates losing. So I think Saban's got at least one more title in. Yeah, all, all in all, with I'll answer your question as well. The dynasty's not over. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon that everybody's jumping on like they have for Clemson the past two years. Although I think that's a different situation, and say that the dynasty is over for Alabama. It's absolutely not over. I mean, they lost. Two regular season games for the first time in, you know, since, I mean, what, I was in middle school, um, you know, so it's not over. Um, eventually, the law of averages comes for everybody. Uh, as much as I hate the law of averages, it is a true thing. And like you guys said, I mean, tennis, being on the road in Knoxville and being on the road in Baton Rouge is two really, really hard things to do. And Baton Rouge at night really played a difference. And I think that goes back to what Matt said with that energy and that culture that Alabama seems to be kind of lacking a little bit of all of a sudden is that they do seem tight on the road. They do seem really tight. And we'll see how they do this weekend on the road in Oxford. But um, kind of moving along to speaking of Ole Miss, how about the former head coach, Hugh Freeze, getting a win in Fayetteville with the Liberty Flames. At this point, if you are Auburn, you make your move. You should have one man in your sights, and that is Hugh Freeze. It's 100% Hugh Freeze. Oh, and yeah. I, think this week, I think this week was absolutely Hugh Freeze's audition tape in Fayetteville as his way of saying, I'm ready when you guys are. Because they really dominated Arkansas. Arkansas was four of 16 on third downs against Liberty's defense. At no point, I believe, after the second quarter did Arkansas ever lead this game. Liberty dominated Arkansas. They held, now granted, KJ Jefferson's not healthy, 
but they dominated this game. And Hugh Freeze has built a culture at Liberty, the kind of culture that needs to be brought into Auburn and fixed and instill a direction back into that program. In my opinion, Hugh Freeze is the man for the Auburn job. And this, this past Saturday solidified everything. Everything. You should, you should talk to no one else. I know they want Dion. I know there's other names out there, but it's, it's got to be Hugh Freeze. Yeah, me and Matt talked about this a good bit last week, too. Um, talk about Hugh Freeze. To be honest, I thought about it going into this week. I think he's already hired. I think that's done and done. I think and we, we spoke about the whole him getting the extension at Liberty, like almost at the exact same time that Brian Harson gets fired from Auburn. Um, and the more I've thought about what Matt was saying about it, the more I think they literally did that because Hugh Freeze was already leaving for Auburn. I think it's done. I mean, Auburn, if you're Auburn, unless you can lure away a, a, a Lane Kiffin, um, there's it's, there's no other person you should even be looking at, in my opinion. I mean, Dion, would Dion be cool? Would Dion uh, recruit really well? And could he be exciting for the program? Yes. Um, but Dion is absolutely not a proven commodity. Um, I don't think other guys are like Jamie Chadwell. We talked about uh, Bill O'Brien. Absolutely not. Uh, Matt Rule, same deal. So, I mean, if you want a proven commodity, somebody you know is going to come in, compete with Alabama immediately, um, especially when a large part of the SEC West is kind of starting to look like they're they're not down, but they're at a point where it can Auburn can come back from the bottom to top two or three for sure. I mean, you're not going to overtake Alabama in like two years, but with A&M doing what they're doing right now, Lord knows what's going to happen with them. Uh, Ole Miss, Ole Miss looks good. Ole Miss is going to be up there. But Ole Miss doesn't have the resources to be in Alabama or Georgia like Auburn does. Uh, so if you can come in there, you can use the NIL money right, you can recruit the way you need to recruit, and uh, and start winning football games again and get the fans interested, then you can do a lot of huge things at Auburn. So I'm going to say right now, I think Hugh Freeze has already been hired. I think we're just waiting until the season's over. Just, I, I found it funny that Hugh decided to take shot at Ole Miss in his like post-game speech to – his team, he was like, yeah, you know, I came up here with some pretty good SEC teams in Fayetteville, and we never could get it done. Uh, but you guys come up here, and we we, we get a win. So uh, I, I I found that ironic, uh, especially since Ole Miss's best chance of winning uh, the SEC West was that year in 2015 when they went to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and they had Arkansas on a fourth and 25, and the most absurd – giving up of a fourth down I've ever seen in my life happened. And then Arkansas went on and won that game and caught that worked out for me because Alabama won an Addy, but Ole Miss blew it. But freezes the guy. I, I don't want to beat the dead horse. We talked about it. it. It's it, it should be done yesterday. It probably was done yesterday. Um, and I think that that's why there's people that are trying to float rumors out there about other head coaches. You saw the Dan landing rumors that were floating, uh, there was no, there was no, in my opinion, at least there was no real interest from either side on that. And not to say that Dan Lanning isn't going to be a fine head coach. I think that he will be, and I think he is a really good coach. Uh, but not right now, I mean, you, you don't have one year at Oregon where you come in and you get a team that was pretty much completely put together already uh, by a guy that's now at Miami. And then they're going to give you the keys to the Auburn job. 
Like that, that's just not how it works in the SEC, and that's not how it's going to work at Auburn. And I know there's some Auburn people that are kind of like clenching their cheeks right now because they're like, oh gosh, we, we got to make this higher and it's got to be the right one. Look, you're getting Hugh Freeze. He's going to win a lot of football games. He's going to win, he's going to do well there. So good, good for you, Auburn. I'm preemptively congratulating on you on getting Hugh Freeze. And uh, I hope we kick your ass next year. And this year, and every year after that, for the rest of humanity. I would, I would just like to say one thing about the uh, Auburn, and then we can, then we can move on. But I just want to say this because I was not here last week to vent when Brian Harson was fired. Um, Auburn has to get this hire right. If it is not Hugh Freeze, it is wrong. Auburn, take my personal wonderful legal and you know knowledgeable advice from all my years and wisdom of you know being in an athletic department at the age of 25 years old because you'll need it if it's not hugh freeze it's wrong it has to be hugh freeze you absolutely disgracefully treated an individual that was hired and undermined him from the second he got there over the past year and a half and if you want my honest opinion about Auburn, I hope they fail because of how they treat, treated Brian Harson. It irks me, and I personally now hate Auburn because of the way they treated Brian Harson. I still think Brian Harson is going to be a coach somewhere, probably Colorado or Arizona State. I think he's in the running for both of those jobs, and I think he'll get those jobs and do well. But it really was disgraceful and infuriating to see a man completely undermined for a span of about 18 months. It, it was really horrible to watch. And the only way to fix it and to fix the reputation of the Auburn job is to get this hire right. Because if you don't, Auburn is going to fall into Nebraska type territory. And like I said, the answer to this hire is Hugh Freeze. It's got to be Hugh Freeze. He's the only man I think that can take that job with any kind of experience and a proven guy in the Southeastern Conference that can do anything of quality with that program. Nothing against Dan Lanning, nothing against Jamie Chadwell, or any of these guys that they're floating out there. I think they'd be good coaches, but Hugh Freeze has the experience. Hugh Freeze has won in this conference, and his recruiting is going to be right up there with the rest of the SEC. And it's not right now. Auburn has 10 commits, and they're sitting about – 63rd i think i saw today um don't quote me on that number but it's around there so it's got to be hugh freeze and uh you know been holding on to that one for a week so i wanted to get that out well hey it could be worse at least he made it to auburn you know greg Chiano didn't even get to make it to tennessee before they fired him <laughs> and uh and threw jeremy pruitt in there who, who gets fired what two years later three years later for for high point i think it was four Nebraska's and, and you know Nebraska's the same away. You get a you get a good hire and your backup on top. Uh, but I agree with you, Chad. Either way, let's go ahead and jump into our pour one out, cut them off segment. Matt, who are you pouring one out for this week? You know what? I'm pouring one out for spin zones because this has been a week full of spin zones for me. Uh, like spin zone, can't lose the UGA if you lose the LSU first. I have to worry about hearing all those barkers. Coming at me and saying, oh, yeah, we got you two times in a row, two years in a row, young man. You're you're done for. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a week full of spin zones. Obviously, 
spin zones aren't the most fun thing to do. Uh, but it's also kind of fun because it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine. This is fine. Uh, and I am cutting off feeling like a normal college football fan. Uh, this is not fun. <laughs> I know that you peasants have felt like this for many, many years. I have not felt like this in a very long time and I don't like it and I don't want to ever feel like this again. So I'm going to need father Saban to figure this crap out tomorrow. Fire everybody not even just fire them from their jobs but put them on a rocket and aim it directly at the sun and fire it into the sun because that's what they deserve because that's what they've done to what everyone was afraid of everyone is afraid of alabama nobody wanted to play alabama now everyone can give two craps whether or not they're playing alabama especially if alabama's coming to them um you know, it is what it is, so it's not fun. But, you know, spin zone, Alabama's only two plays away from being undefeated this year. So uh, it happens, and, you know, hey, we're still pretty darn good. Roll Tide. Down year. <laughs> so I'm actually going to pour one out for two things tonight. First thing I want to pour one out for is hurricanes. So as we speak right now, down in Sunrise, Florida, Hurricane Nicole is making landfall. But you know who that did not stop? That did not stop the Florida Panthers of the National Hockey League, who just so happened to be playing the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, in the middle of a hurricane. And I think that's pretty cool. So pour one out for Hurricanes. Good on you for the NHL for not canceling those games. Saw a great opportunity there uh, to have a little have a little magic going on with the Hurricanes playing in a hurricane down in Florida. So. And then I'm also going to kind of pour one out on a somber note. Um, with Lando no longer being on the podcast, I get to take over as the resident NASCAR fan. And I'm going to pour one out um, this week for the NASCAR season, pouring one out for a NASCAR season that was a very quality NASCAR season overall as a whole. But on a somber note, going to pour one out for Coy Gibbs and Joe Gibbs Racing and pretty much the entire NASCAR family. Um Ty Gibbs is the NASCAR Xfinity Series champion. He is 19 years old. Uh, this is his first full-time year in um, the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He won the championship on Saturday. His grandpa, Joe Gibbs, is the owner of Joe Gibbs Racing, who runs four cars each week in the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the NASCAR Cup Series. And his son, Coy, um, was the co-owner of the Xfinity Series team and Ty Gibbs' father. Coy uh, Gibbs got to see Ty Gibbs win his first NASCAR Xfinity Series championship on Saturday, but unfortunately and tragically, he passed away in his sleep on Saturday night after celebrating his championship with his son uh, alongside his dad, Joe, as well. So just pour one out for the entire NASCAR family and Thoughts definitely go out to the Gibbs family and everyone involved in NASCAR. It's, I'm not a Ty Gibbs fan, but that is an absolute tragedy to go from the highest to highest to winning your, a championship at 19 years old to losing your dad. So just pouring one out for them. And I am going to cut off spoiled Matt because he just called us peasants. And I didn't even have a cut one off tonight, but Matt wants to, you know, still look down upon us from his Alabama high horse like a spoiled little brat and 
call us peasants and say that he doesn't want to live our life of normal college football fans. Well, you know what, Matt? Go to hell. I hope you get stuck here forever. So, cutting off spoiled, Matt. What, who are you pouring one out for? Uh, in response to Matt, I am pouring one out for being the kings of college football. Because uh, uh, we're, we're on top now, Matt. You just enjoy your view from the bottom of the mountain. And uh, me and Kirby Smart will sit at the peak and just rock back and forth in our rocking chairs. And uh, I'm definitely talking way too much shit that I should be before Georgia even wins a second national championship under Kirby Smart. Uh, but that, that was just for you, my friend. Uh, I got three poor one outs. That's my first one. Second one, poor one out for lazy Saturdays. My favorite thing in the entire world, putting up more than one television, watching every single college football game that comes on TV that day. I uh, got to watch Southern, got to watch Georgia, got to watch the Florida, um, Texas A&M game, which was fun to watch. Uh, even though I hate Florida, still a fun game. Uh, lots, tons and tons of games. I uh, had a great time all day. Me and a buddy of mine just bought two 12-packs of beer and uh, hung out and drank the entire day. Um, up until later on that night when we went out to a couple bars to watch the Alabama-LSU game. And uh, that's my third poor one out is getting shit-faced uh, because I got super hammered and almost blacked out for the first time in a very, very, very long time. Uh, as y'all probably remember, I feel like I used to talk about it every single week on the podcast. Uh, I was going out and getting drunk and having a good time. I've grown up quite a bit since then, but uh, not not totally. Uh, so I still have still have my college moments. Of course, I say that. I think me and Matt got pretty drunk at Alabama, too. So that was like two weeks ago. Um, but either way. Uh, poor one out for getting drunk. I had lots of fun and, uh, I will definitely do it again sometime. And, uh, I'm going to be cutting off doing anything with the hangover because I decided to wake up Sunday morning and go to the dang Falcons game. I woke up at 6am after going to bed at 2am and was super energized, got up, made breakfast, went and got my car washed, did all this stuff. I felt great up until I got to the game and I had a beer. I had one beer. And the rest of the game, I was sitting there. I was sweating because I was dehydrated. Uh, I had like the shakes. and I, I couldn't get comfortable in my seat. My stomach started hurting. Oh, man. I, you know, the older I get, I mean, I'm 26 years old now. But the older I get, the worse my hangovers get. And uh, the less I want to get drunk, uh, which is really sad because it's a lot of fun. So I uh, definitely cutting off hangovers, doing anything with a hangover. And uh, being dumb enough to not take any medicine when I woke up that morning. Keys, who are you pouring out for? All right, I'm pouring one out for, what has it been, like two and a half solid years of around the keg. Like two, I said earlier yeah. in the show, we are uh, you know, turning over and changing the branding up a little bit. Um, hoping to include some more people in that and, and keep it going. But man, what a great what a great ride we've had uh, under this branding for two over two years now which is, it's been it's been fun ever since we decided to do this uh we've had a blast had some awesome times with everybody under the same roof having some beers talking some college football talking some not so college football stuff you know mm. which won't end we'll, we'll, it won't we'll, end it won't continue end. to do the exact same thing it's literally going to um, be the same show maybe less <laughs> less lando which is sad Le- less uh less of our version of Stephen a smith oh, so. <laughs> But don't worry. But don't worry, listeners. You'll never have to hear Lando. Who's your pick for Wake Forest versus Clemson? I'm gonna go Wake Forest just because. <laughs> You're right. You'll just hear Wyoming just because. By a field. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, and I'm going to be cutting off all the Alabama and Nick Saban slander. Everybody's over here talking about the dynasty is just over and Saban should retire. This Alabama's never going to win another game. They're going to be fine. There's still going to be a power in the SEC for at least until Saban leaves. And he's not going to leave because he's bad. He's going to leave because he wants to. So. Yeah. Well, and then when Dabo Sweeney takes over, they're going to be just as good as they were under Nick Saban. So. You're right. Yeah. Not, don't don't worry, Alabama fans. Matt's over there, you know. In in woe is me, Dabo. but we don't want Dabo and his little little old Clemson. Sorry, sorry. Steel. I meant Bill O'Brien. Once Bill O'Brien takes over for the first year, okay. If be Bill really O'Brien good. takes over, then Alabama, and done. then and then they will be down in the dumpster. Um, and there will be lots of Bama slander, which I will pour one out for every week. And then they'll Bill be done. O'Brien. I know you listen to this podcast weekly. I just wanted to let you know that rather than paying for help whenever you move, I will gladly do it for free. Like everything, drive the U-Haul, all that shit. Free. Free. Can't beat that price. Moving on to our locks of the week. Chad, who's your lock this week? So I'm going to go with favorite coach ever. Row the boat. Golden Gophers are facing a Northwestern team coming up to TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis on Saturday. 3.30 kickoff on the old Big Ten Network. Um. I know Northwestern put up a fight last week, but it's not going to happen this week. Northwestern was aided by tropical storm force winds and a monsoon. That's the only reason that they could even hang in the game with Ohio State. I love Pat Fitzgerald. I think he's one of the best coaches in college football, but they're 1-8. and eight. It's a rough year, man. They haven't won a game in the United States in the year of 2022. Think about that. They had to leave the continent to win a game. So I think Tanner Morgan and the Golden Gophers are going to win a nice, brisk 39-degree game in Minneapolis. And uh, I'm, rowing, I'm rowing the boat with the Gophers on this one. Matt, who's your lock? So my lock this week, I am going with UCF plus two and a half over Tulane. Tulane coming in as a one-loss team. Uh, UCF is seven and one straight up in his last eight games against Tulane. I think that UCF is going to come in playing hot. Uh, I believe that JRP is supposed to be back, uh, in action with UCF this week, which makes them a much more dangerous team than, uh, otherwise. So I like, I like UCF to win this game. Uh, in new Orleans, Tulane's a one loss team. Willie Fritz has been, a name that's popped up in some casual conversation uh, for for some bigger jobs. Um, but And shout out to Willie Fritz, former Georgia Southern head coach. Uh, but I just don't – I don't think that UCF uh, – or I don't think that Tulane is going to be able to stave off UCF and the fight in Malzahn. So going Golden Knights in, uh, in Nolens with – you know that Gus Malzahn guy for UCF? I feel like he would be a really good fit at Auburn um, if they wanted to hire from the group of five ranks. Uh, just just, just saying. He's done a pretty good job this year. Um, either way, my lock of the week, I got Baylor over Kansas State. Baylor's been on a roll. Uh, they've won their last three, and they've won them all pretty handedly uh, besides last week against Oklahoma. And uh, they had a pretty sizable lead, too. Oklahoma kind of stormed their way back towards the end. I uh, got to watch that game uh, with my three TV setup I had going. And uh, Baylor actually is looking a lot better um, towards the end of the season. 
I think they're going to make a push to get to the Big 12 title game. And I think it's, this is the first way they do it, is beating Kansas State. Uh, they get them at home, too, which is really good for them. And uh, and uh, Kansas State, I just don't think they're the same team with Adrian Martinez in at quarterback as they were with Will Howard. Um, and for some reason, they think they need to start Adrian Martinez, I guess just because he's older. Uh, but I noticed last week they looked way worse uh, with Adrian Martinez. And not saying they're bad. They're still a good team. Uh, I definitely think Kansas State's a top 20 team at the very least. Uh, but I think I just think Baylor's going to have too much for them, and uh, they're going to get the win. Keys. All right, so I wasn't here last week to pick Georgia Southern, and the week before that was bye week. And I'm kind of grateful I didn't have to pick last week. It was kind of depressing watching them give up the game in the, the final minutes there, even though they led for like the entire game. Uh, this week, Georgia Southern goes to Lafayette to play the Raging Cajuns. Uh, the Cajuns are favored in this game. Uh, Kyle Ventrese's stats are kind of looking shoddy. Even though he's playing really well, he's still got 13 interceptions on the Oof. season. So, uh, you know, not not great. But even all that against the Eagles, I'm still going to give the Eagles the win this week. I don't think they lose two in a row. They're going to go for bowl eligibility here, and I think they'll win by three in Lafayette. And that rolls us right to our first game of the week. We got Georgia Southern heading into Lafayette, Louisiana to take on the Raging Cajuns. Uh, Raging Cajuns are a three and a half point favorite. Matt, who are you picking in this game? As much as I want to pick Georgia Southern, I'm really struggling to bring myself to it to do it this week. I picked them last week to to pull the upset on uh, South Alabama, and they had that game won. They squandered it. Uh, and it's because the defense just isn't very good. And I think that that's where uh, Southern's going to have its deficiencies. They're going on the road. Van Trees is a turnover machine. Uh, obviously, he's breaking a bunch of passing records, but turns the ball over a lot. And uh, I, I think that Clay Helton has done a, a good job turning uh, lemons into lemonade this year uh, with what he had talent-wise there completely – changing the offensive system. Uh, I think the Southern is going to be very competitive in this game, but I think ULL wins this game by at least seven. I'm with Matt on this one. Uh, these are not Billy Napier's Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns anymore, so I don't think this team is near as good as it was a year ago um, or it has been over the past four years. Uh, they're a little bit different. They're four and five this year, and I don't think they're that – quality of a football team but that being said georgia southern doesn't play well on the road georgia southern doesn't play well on the road their defense their passing their passing defense is horrible their defense is really horrible in general they're just not very good all around there's a lot of things that need to change on that georgia southern team but i think matt's right turn clay helton's done a good job turning lemons into lemonade uh georgia southern's really kind of reminded me of a mike leach wazoo team this year winning a game they shouldn't win and then turning around and losing a game they probably should win. And a lot of turnovers to the air, you know, Ventry's having a hard time hanging on to the ball, but part of that is because short Southern passes so much. But this game not being in Paulson, I think, is the difference. Shout out to our buddy Hunter Neal, who actually works for the uh, Louisiana Lafayette Athletic Department, and I think uh, Louisiana Lafayette's probably going to win by seven. Close game. But Georgia Southern struggles on the road, man. With Georgia Southern wins solely because they go into that stadium. They see me and Hunter, who worked for the Georgia Southern football team, 
for at least two years, and uh, and they go, those people are standing on the on the wrong sideline, and they get really pissed off at it, and then we win by fourteen. Um, I'm not really predicting that. I do think Georgia Southern wins. Um, I don't think Louisiana's defense has been very good this year, um, uh, based on the games that I've watched, and. Um, as bad as Kyle Ventrese has been with turnovers, he's also been really good um, with throwing the ball, with getting touchdowns, and uh, and our wide receivers have been really solid too. So I think we take advantage of their defense. Uh, I think we get the run game going as well, and I think Georgia Southern wins the game. I think they win by at least seven. Um, it's a Thursday night game too, uh, so things can get a little bit weird. But uh, I'm going to go Southern, Southern plus three and a half. It, is uh I think that's a lock too. That's a for sure win. I see it happening. And uh moving to our next game, Matt already locked this one up. We got number 22 UCF at number 17 Tulane. This one to take the lead as the top ranked group of 5 team in college football and uh place their name in that bid for the New Year 6 uh New Year 6 bowl game. Tulane is a one and a half point favorite at home. Matt, we already know who you're picking. You already locked him up. Uh, Chad, who are you picking on this one? As much as my gut tells me to ride with Miles on and Plumley and the Golden Knights, this game is the 3.30 ESPN game. 2.30 local time in New Orleans. And Louisiana, excuse me, not Louisiana, but Tulane, another school in Louisiana, gets it at home. And not to mention... Group of five, Josh Pate's going to be at this game. So anything can happen wherever group of five, Josh Pate goes. I think UCF is probably a better team. And I know Tulane has never been a school very much known for its atmosphere, but this is one of the most, if not the most successful season we've ever seen Tulane have in at least our lifetime. I can't remember Tulane ever being that good of a team. Willie Fritz, former Georgia Southern coach, has done a hell of a job. I think he's a contender for the Georgia Tech job if he wants to be. But Tulane, I think, wins this game because I think the magnitude of this game and it being in New Orleans brings out a crowd and gives Tulane an atmosphere that they have never had in that stadium. And I know that UCF is used to playing at Cincinnati. They've played at Louisville this year. This is both pretty solid atmospheres. And they're used to a good atmosphere at home in the bounce house. But Tulane students, fans, alumni – I think they're going to be jacked up for this game. I would absolutely love to see Tulane finish out the year and get their first New Year's Six appearance and give us somebody different besides UCF and Cincinnati from the uh, from the AAC. So I'm going to go Tulane. I'm going to go Tulane by seven. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Tulane might trail at points in this game, but I think that crowd is going to keep them in the game and they can make a late make a late drive, score a touchdown, and and win the game and keep themselves solely in contention to get that New Year's Six berth. With, I know I was joking around earlier when I said that Auburn should hire Gus Malzahn because obviously they already did, and then they fired him uh, to hire Brian Harson. But I think Gus Malzahn's a really good coach. I think he's done really well at UCF. Uh, what he's done with John Reese Plumley, who uh, I know Matt said he might be coming back this game. I didn't even think about that, but if he's back, I'm absolutely picking UCF. But even with Max Keenan there. I think UCF wins the game. I think it's super tight. Uh, Tulane has done really, really well this year. Um, but I think UCF is hitting their stride at the right time. Uh, they're coming off the win against Cincinnati as well. Um, I, th- I think they're tied right now for first in the AAC. 
Um, and I think UCF is absolutely going to be the team that gets to play in the New Year's Six this year. So I'm going UCF. I think they cover. Um, I think it's a really close game. I think they only win by like three. Uh, but I am going to pick the uh, the Knights. Moving into our first SEC game of the week, we got the top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs coming off the win against Tennessee, heading into Starkville, Mississippi, where me and my brother will be surrounded by cowbells watching the uh, this football game, Dogs versus Dogs. And uh, Georgia is a 16.5-point favorite in this one. Matt, who you got? Well, have fun in hell with uh, because <laughs> that's what Starkville is. Have you been? No, but it just it just seems like it. Uh, <laughs> just crossing it off the list. It just, it, 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 that that place. It seems like every time that Alabama has played there, like there's been something that's just gone horribly wrong. Uh, like Tua's injury. Uh Anyways, so moving on. Uh, look, th- this is going to be a blowout. It's going to be a beatdown of epic proportions. 16 and a half is not enough. Give me the dogs. I'm going to pound that line. I don't care that they're coming off an emotional win at home. Uh, Kirby Smart has proven, to me at least, that he is Nick Saban's protege. He is very, very much built that Georgia program in the image of Nick Saban's Alabama. Uh, obviously, he was with Saban for a very long time. He knows the blueprint. Got the culture right there at Georgia. He's got the players there at Georgia. The players are bought in. Uh, Mississippi State is they they do run the ball a little bit more than they used to. Uh, they, they like rather than being the con- complete air a team as as wit- witnessed with me in Tuscaloosa, they tried to they tried to run the ball and they tried to play a little trickery there. Um, it being in Starkville, maybe maybe they they the cowbells like make Stetson Bennett like throw a pick or something but it's not going to matter mississippi state's not moving the ball on georgia's defense dogs big like 21 plus big i remember having a conversation with wit before the season started and i said i don't care what mississippi state's record is i don't care what georgia's record is the mike leach effect comes into play full on right here I for, let me say this first of all, Mississippi State just struggled with Auburn. Mississippi State is six and three, and in my and in my opinion, has completely underwhelmed on expectations. At this point, I think people only thought Mississippi State would have one loss. If you'd have asked me before the season, I would have said the same thing. I would have only expected Mississippi State to have one loss. I would have expected game day to be at this game, and that this would be the nightcap on ABC or at least the two thirty Central Time kick on CBS. That has not happened. Mississippi State has underwhelmed. Mississippi State had should have blew Auburn's doors off last week, but they couldn't do it. They allowed Auburn to hang around in the game, and Auburn moved the ball quite well on their defense. Robbie Ashford scrambled for far more than he should have, and Mississippi State's defense looked pretty bad. And I agree with Matt. I think this, in reality, is going to be a blowout. I don't think it's going to be close. I think maybe the fact that Georgia, yeah, coming off an emotional win and it's on the road with the cowbells and this and that and the other and that apparently Satan resides in Starkville, Mississippi. I get all that. But maybe Mississippi State goes up early, but I think in the end Georgia blows them out. However, I said at the beginning of the year, 
Mike Leach wins games he's not supposed to all the time, and that if I was going to find a loss on Georgia's cupcake of a schedule, that this was it. I don't actually believe Georgia's going to lose this game. I want to say that one more time so when people go and listen to this episode before they call me an idiot, I don't actually believe Georgia's going to lose this game. However, Mike Leach wins games he's not supposed to. I think he wins this one, and he's not supposed to. Mississippi State shocks the world, beats Georgia by three. Wit. Did George, did Chad just pick Georgia to win and lose at the same time? Yes, I did. That's pretty I remarkable. That uh, that sounded like manifesting. If you you know, like <laughs> oh, I'm manifesting that Mississippi State's gonna win. Chad just wants on the record that so if they lose, he can pull back. And go, oh, I said Georgia was gonna lose. And if they win, he can pull back. And go, oh, I said Georgia was gonna win. And I'm gonna do the same hey, thing right we, here. I'm about to do the exact we same. We had thing. we had we had the conversation. And I said, if there's one loss on the schedule, it's Mississippi State. Leach does stuff like that. I said that. I said it before the season started. I said everybody was saying Tennessee, Tennessee, uh, Florida might be better, Oregon, blah, 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 blah. No, I said if Georgia loses a game this season, it's going to be at Mississippi State. I had a feeling it was going to be a night game. Uh, Now I'm seeing the weathers might not be very good uh, coming to that game, which is bad considering – Georgia uh, runs the entire offense through the passing game now, which is probably the first time that's happened at Georgia since Matthew Stafford's been there. And even then, it was really still more run game. Um, that being said, I did say that I thought the Mississippi State would be Georgia's one loss before the season started. Um, and when I, But when I did my conference predictions, I go through and do everybody's schedules. I pick every game. Uh, I pick Georgia to win, and I'm going to stick with that. I think Georgia wins. Uh, coming off that win against Tennessee, I didn't see anything there that made me think that Mississippi State would have success against Georgia's defense. Uh, even with Nolan Smith out, bringing Jalen Carter back, uh, the way the defensive backs played against Tennessee, um, I think they played the same way against Mississippi State. It, honestly, when you play against Mike Leach's offense, it all comes down to can your defensive backs tackle in space? And uh, I think Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are the two best coaches in the entire league in general, but also in coaching defensive backs and their tackling. And because that's one thing I've noticed since Kirby Smart's been at Georgia is the defensive backs do not miss tackles. And it's been the same way at Alabama since Saban's been there. Um, So I think Georgia wins this game. Uh, At first, I was a little worried just because of the Mississippi State-Georgia game from 2020, the way that Mike Leach had uh, so much success against Kirby's defense. I'm not that worried about it this year. Um, I think Georgia's got way more athletes. And uh, even in the rain, I think we'll be able to push Mississippi State around uh, the same way that Alabama did when I watched the Alabama beat the brakes up Mississippi State and not cover my uh, minus 30 and a half point spread that Alabama should have covered. Um, so I'm going Georgia. I think they cover the spread pretty easily. And uh, I think I come out of there maybe a little bit wet, but also uh, with a big smile on my face. Moving on to our next game, uh, this game with huge SEC West implications we got number seven lsu coming off the win against alabama uh taking on arkansas in fayetteville fayetteville coming off the loss to hugh freeze and liberty uh at home arkansas is a three and a half point underdog against lsu matt who you picking so if this game was going to be a night game in fayetteville and it was going to be rainy and cold I would be like, oh, trap game, LSU trap game. You just came off of a huge win against Alabama, and now you're going into uh, Fayetteville. And it, it, Fayetteville would be a trap game. Um, look, 
Arkansas is good, um, but AJ Jefferson's clearly not a hundred percent, and that was evident last week in in the the Liberty game. Arkansas, uh, they they ha- he has to be good in order for them to have a chance against anybody. And uh, quite frankly, I don't see anything about LSU uh, that matches up well with Arkansas. Uh, the defensive line for LSU is really good at getting, at getting pressure on the quarterback, even from up the middle, uh, which is where Jefferson would want to be escaping through the pocket. So I just don't see this as a good matchup for uh, Arkansas at all. So I'm going to go LSU. I think LSU covers. Uh and look, you know, I know I expect Arkansas to play a lot better this week than they did last week against Liberty. I don't expect them to do anything particularly miraculous. So LSU wins this one. I'm going to go by a 10. Ed. Yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I think Arkansas is going to play a lot better. I think Arkansas is going to come out with a fire lit underneath them. And they are going to come out with an opportunity to redeem what happened to them last week. And also, this is a rivalry game. I don't think a lot of people realize that this is a rivalry game. They're playing for the Golden Boot, which is an awesome trophy. But, um, you know, I'm with Matt in a sense that this could have been a trap game. 11 a.m. kickoff. You know, big week after you just beat Alabama. Arkansas has kind of in wounded animal mode. You just lost to Liberty at home. So normally, yeah, I would say that this is a trap game for LSU, but Matt's completely right. Arkansas has a good physical defense. I mean, they can play tough. I think they can get to Jaden Daniels, put pressure on Jaden Daniels, maybe put him on the ground a few times because they play a very physical brand of football under Sam Pittman. They have since he's gotten there, but this all boils down to K.J. Jefferson. Arkansas's offense does not have the athletes. Traylon Burks is not. I mean, he's in the NFL now. Haven't had him all year, and that's made a difference. They just don't have the athletes. I mean, Arkansas is getting there. I don't think that this year is a step back in Sam Pittman's um, progression as the head coach at Arkansas. I think Arkansas is going to be fine, but their offense really does rely on K.J. Jefferson to be healthy and to be that entire offense and with him not being healthy i don't think he's been healthy since they've lost the texas a&m game and that's why they've kind of fallen off and you've forgotten about arkansas but he's not healthy i think even if he plays in the game he's not 100 percent. he hasn't been 100 percent all year lsu might come out a little sleepy but i think in the end lsu maybe pulls away late give it a 13 point win to the tigers with I mean, it's pretty hard to pick Arkansas to beat LSU the week after LSU beats Alabama at home, uh, seemingly taking them out of the college football playoff race. And Arkansas gets pretty much blown out by a Liberty team uh, who's now ranked. uh, And granted, they have Hugh Freeze, who is a very solid coach um, as their head coach. But um, if you're an Arkansas team, you're not you're not getting beat by a group of five teams. So that's that's not a good look for Arkansas. Uh, and that's exactly why I think Arkansas is going to beat LSU this week because that's just college football. It, it doesn't make sense. Uh, there's black magic that happens every single week. Um, and I think it would be way too easy for us to say, LSU knocked off Alabama. LSU is a good team. They're going to go to the SEC championship and uh, probably put up a good fight against Georgia. Uh, I think they're going to get beat this week. 
which is going to throw a wrench into the uh, SEC West championship race. Uh, it's going to bring back the tiebreaker. Um, I believe even if Ole Miss loses this weekend, that, yeah, because LSU will still have the tiebreaker over Alabama and over Ole Miss. So LSU will still be at the top uh, when they lose this game. But uh, I think it comes down to that LSU-Texas A&M game to see if uh, if it's going to be LSU or if it's going to be Alabama in the SEC championship. And Lord knows the way that things work for Nick Saban, he'll crawl his way back in because I, I would not be shocked whatsoever. So first step is Arkansas beating LSU, and I think it happens here. I think K.J. Jefferson brings it back. I think the offense turns it back on, and I think they get a big win at home. Moving on to our next game, it's another SEC West implication game. We got number nine, Alabama, heading to Oxford, Mississippi, taking on number 11, Ole Miss, 3.30 game on CBS, or 2.30 Central Time. Uh, Ole Miss is a 12.5-point underdog, uh, which is pretty shocking to me after that game last weekend, uh, the Alabama-LSU game. Matt, how do you feel about this one? Uh, look, it's not shocking to me at all because this is a terrible matchup for Ole Miss. Um, I, I have thought all along uh, Ole Miss is built to be a team that can compete with pretty much anybody in the SEC West. But for whatever reason, I feel like Alabama is not, was not a good matchup. The only thing that I thought that they could, that Ole Miss could hope for and, and could potentially beat Alabama be if Alabama beat like somehow escaped through the LSU game last weekend and came in, and it's eight and one Alabama versus eight and one Ole Miss. And game day absolutely would have been in Oxford, Mississippi, and it would have been a party in the sip, and everything. They would be raucous and rowdy and crazy, and the it would be like the the fever pitch of college football in Oxford next week. That got knocked down a ton whenever Alabama lost that game to LSU, because now this game isn't for the SEC West anymore. Miss has to win this game in order to have a shot at the SEC West. So, but if you look at it on paper, Ole Miss's run defense has been absolutely god awful. They haven't been able to get to the quarterback, and the secondary, which has been fairly good all year, uh, they're going to have to add into account Jameer Gibbs, and they're going to. And it, I just don't think it's a good matchup. I would, if, if I was. Uh, if, if this was a line, if I was Bill O'Brien, I would give Jameer Gibbs the ball like 25 times and let him run for 250 yards because Ole Miss cannot stop the run with a three-man front that they run. Uh, so to me, it's a matchup nightmare for Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is a really good team this year. Lane Kiffin's done a great job in Oxford. Uh, obviously, I love the Ole Miss Rebels because I got a degree from there. Uh, shout out Hottie Toddy. But this week, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be. I am fairly certain it's a beatdown. I think Bama wins this game by seventeen at least uh, in Oxford over the Ole Miss Rebels. I just don't see Ole Miss being able to do anything offensively with uh, Will Anderson and Dallas Turner coming off the edges against two freshman tackles. So uh, Bama, and I think handily. I've never been more confused on a pick than I have this one because I don't know where to go with it. I think Matt makes a lot of valid points in the fact that I think this is a mismatch for Ole Miss. I don't think Ole Miss is the same team that they were last year, and 
you know, I think Ole Miss was better last year than they are this year, and Alabama still handled Ole Miss pretty well. However, that game was in Tuscaloosa. I think Alabama athlete can out-athlete Ole Miss. I think Alabama is a better defensive team than Ole Miss is, and I think Bryce Young is a far better quarterback than Jackson Dart. I'm not demeaning Ole Miss as a football team. I think Ole Miss is a very quality 8-1 and one football team, but their schedule has panned out for them to where their one loss was probably the only one you had circled on the calendar at this point anyway. Um, I, I think Alabama's going to walk into Oxford wounded, and I don't see Nick Saban's team being the kind of team to – lay down and quit the rest of the year just because they have two losses. Uh, it's not how it's going to go. If anything, I think Nick Saban's the kind, got the kind of program to where they're looking at riding this ship and doing the best they can to still get to a quality bowl game, playing in that bowl game, and coming back next year ready to go on another revenge tour. And I think that probably starts this week. I think the atmosphere in Oxford is still going to be wild because it is Alabama and it is Ole Miss and it's a rivalry. And Ole Miss still controls their own destiny in the West. Ole Miss is not out of the playoff. They're a long shot at this point. But if Ole Miss somehow wins the West, LSU loses, and then Ole Miss wins the rest of their games and then sneaks past Georgia in the SEC championship, they're in the playoff. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's close through about midway through the third quarter crowd kind of stays in it. Obviously, if there's going to be weather in Starkville, there's going to be weather at Oxford. So maybe the weather plays a little bit of a factor as well. But I think Alabama's got the athletes and they've got the will as a as a program to not have to face a 9-3 and three season. Because if Alabama loses a third regular season game, then we might really need to start having a conversation about what needs to happen after the season. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Alabama eventually pulls away and they win by 17. With. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to this. I mean, you look at every regular season loss that Alabama's had that wasn't against Auburn, and the week after, Nick Saban has the best game of the whole season. Uh, granted, the last couple of years, it's been against Mississippi State, who uh, Mike Leach scoring his first touchdown ever against Alabama at the game me and Matt got to go to. Uh, so I do think that Ole Miss keeps it closer than they should. Uh, I think it stays within that 16-point range. Um, I'm going to say I'm gonna say they cover. I'm going to say they keep it within that 12, maybe like a backdoor cover, because I think Bama will hold a lead for pretty much the entire game. But I know Bama's going to win this game. I don't feel confident at all picking Ole Miss to win it straight up uh, with the spread, the 12.5-point spread. The way that Alabama's looked in away games this year outside of that Arkansas game, uh, I just don't see them blowing the doors off Ole Miss, and I definitely don't see Ole Miss winning the football game. So I'm going to keep it right in that range. I'm going to say Ole Miss plus 12.5, but I say Bama. I'm going to say Bama wins somewhere around like – 35 to 31 or 35 to 29, something crazy like that. Uh, but uh, pick it on Mr. Cover. And uh, moving to our last game, this is the college game day game of the week. Uh, we got number 25, Washington, taking on number six, Oregon. Oregon is a 13 and a half point favorite. One loss, Oregon, uh, number six team in the country. Only loss to the number one team, Georgia. 
looking like they have a real shot to make the playoff. They got Washington coming to town. Uh, they look pretty good, too. Matt, what do you think? Oregon's going to need some help to get into the playoffs uh, because they've got TCU sitting there undefeated in front of them. Uh, but look, I said it a couple of weeks ago. Odson of all the schools in the in the Pac-12, Odson is on at near the top of my bucket list. It is one of the craziest environments. Uh, just watching game days, uh, have like the decibel meters that they used to bring out there. I remember how loud they used to talk about it being. Uh, I know that we're SEC biased. All of us like SEC schools, but Odson. Uh, in Eugene, Oregon, is one of the premier destinations for college football, and a lot of that has to do with the Nike money they get, and that's why I think Oregon wins this game, and I think they win it pretty handily. Dan Lanning's done a really good job this year at Oregon going in there and managing what was left. I also think that Bo Nix has performed very well this year uh, for that Oregon team. Uh that he had a little bit of familiarity with the offensive coordinator there, but look, Oregon has been playing good defense. They've been playing really good offense, and I just feel like right now in the Pac-12, uh, there's nobody that can really match up with them well. And this game, had it been in Seattle, all right, now I'm t I'm thinking maybe you've got a shot. But it being in Austin, sorry, Washington, I don't think you're going to be able to communicate effectively on offense. Uh, Ducks, and I think the Ducks, I do think Washington covers. I think the Ducks by 10. Chad. Well, first of all, I didn't know that college game day um, was going to Eugene, Oregon, because I'm pretty sure that they're going to Austin, Texas. So I don't know what the hell Witt's talking about. Um, Are they? But yeah. Yes, it's I might, in Austin. <laughs> I, might, I, might, I might still be drunk from Saturday. <laughs> Shoot, I didn't Texas. even put that. I didn't even put that game on here. Oh well, I'd pick Texas. <laughs> uh, fuck Texas, Horn Frogs. <laughs> ATK bonus picks, horns down. I'm going TCU, right. but Matt's completely right. Austin going to be a great atmosphere in Eugene. Um, I will ask you guys this: Can you tell me who the leading passer in the FBS is? Kyle Van Trees. Uh, his name is Michael Penix, and he is the quarterback of the Washington Huskies. But I think Michael Penix is going to have a, a solid game. I think Bo Nix is also going to have a very solid game. I think this Oregon defense, the last time that Oregon played a defense this season, similar, excuse me, that the Oregon defense played, the last offense the Oregon defense played, similar to this one, was Wazoo earlier in the year, and that game was also an Odson. But Wazoo put up 41 on Oregon. Um, I think Washington's a little better than Wazoo. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, I think Kalen DeBoer honestly can be in the conversation for a national coach of the year for what he's done in his first year at Washington after those two terrible years that Jimmy Lake left him. Kalen DeBoer is, is a solid coach, and I fully expect Washington to, to be back in the Pac-12 conversation by next year. But, you know... Matt's right. The, the whole atmosphere, this game is in Eugene. You know, it, it is on the bucket list of stadiums that I would like to see. It very much compares to an SEC atmosphere. That place is going to be loud. It's going to be rocking. This is a rivalry out west that not a lot of people know about. These two schools hate each other. 
But the way that Bo Nix is playing right now, mixed in with that atmosphere, I think it's going to come down to the quarterbacks, and I think that Bo Nix is going to be able to outduel Michael Penix. But I think it's going to be closer than than what the line is. I think it's probably going to be a three-point game. should be a very exciting game, uh, 3.30 slot. So it'll be 12.30 out west. That might affect it a little bit with it being an early game, but I still think Oregon takes advantage of having home field and uh, – better quarterback prevails here. Oregon by three, wit. You know, Chad, uh, you bringing that up about Michael Penix made me look into uh, a couple stats here that uh, made me question what I was thinking about this matchup. I was going to go with Oregon. Um, I actually was thinking Oregon would win this game pretty handedly, uh, being at home, and uh, in my thinking, college game day was going to be there, like an absolute moron. Um, but looking at the stats, I mean, Washington is ranked – uh, due to Michael Penix, I'm sure to Michael Penix throwing the ball for more than 50 times a game, they're ranked number one in passing offense this year. Oregon's defense is giving up 280-plus yards a game uh, in, through the air. They are ranked 91st in the country. 117th is what I was Oh, I was wrong. Saying. That's worse. 100, 117th in the country in passing defense. This matchup looks really good for Washington. Michael Penix... When he's healthy, is a very solid quarterback. He proved that when he was at Indiana uh, before the injury bug set in for him and threw him off course. And uh, he's he's found that second win at Washington. And uh, they, they've looked really good this year. I mean, I think Washington's a good football team. They have two pretty quality losses. And uh, and I think they get the win here in Oregon. Uh, I think they pull the upset. And uh, I think this is the second biggest upset of the week after LSU gets beat by Arkansas. So I'm picking Washington. I think they absolutely cover that three and a half, and uh, I think they went straight up. I will say, to continue talking about this game really quick, part of the reason for Michael Penick's success is because he spent two years with Kalen DeBoer when he was at Indiana. Kalen DeBoer was Indiana's offense coordinator before he took the Fresno State head coaching job, and then he got to Washington. So there's familiarity there. That's why Michael Penix and that offense have been so fluid this year. And now Indiana is three and six, and they suck. So we know we know what happened there. All right. Well, usually this is the part of the show where I tell you to follow around the keg on all of our social media. Well, today you can go ahead and start following us on our new Rowdy Southern Saturday social media pages. It's actually just the same pages. So if you already follow, great. We love you. And uh, keep following us. Keep interacting. We love it. Uh, you can go ahead and follow the new handles if you don't follow. On Twitter, we are at RowdyPod right now. We'll see if that sticks. And then on Instagram, we are at Rowdy Southern Saturday. So go ahead and give us a follow wherever you have your social media accounts. And we'll see you next week.